Shambles. Bill Gates already mapping out the next pandemic. The medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth. How do we survive this? Well, we the people stand up and stop taking it. We win at the ballot box. And we do that by getting the truth out into public ears. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman. We win at the ballot box? Come on, Pete Moss. Most of America, well, at least right at 50% of America, don't believe we're winning as we cast our votes. We think, well, many people think there's some manipulation out there, but you can't talk about it because then you become one of those ultra-maga sycophants. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, everybody. No, I haven't had a, uh, a uh, special drink I've not imbibed on anything this morning except coffee. Yes, I've had multiple cups of coffee, and I'm kind of out there on the ledge. Let me just tell you this. Everything that we have talked about over the last four years on this show, it's just coming down on top of us. Here we are in March, March 14th, and guess what's happening? We're getting the truth about some things. <laughs> Go figure that would happen in this political environment in this nation. Greatest nation on the planet. I still think we are, but there are those out there that are doing their darndest to turn that around and make it not be so great after all. Well, we're going to dig into all of that and a whole lot more, and you do not want to miss today's show. Steve Baker joins us, hour number two, and he, I'm sure, is bringing us some new news nuggets that he does every Tuesday. He gives us stuff nobody else knows. Even people in the FBI sometimes don't know about the information that we get here first from Steve Baker. So, why don't we start the show this morning with a little hand clapping How are you going to do that, Dan? Well, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to watch you as we listen to this together and we smile. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here. You can take a break. I'm a hot air balloon that could go to space. With the air, like I don't care, baby, by the way. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. 
first time I heard that song, Pharrell, what's this, Pharrell Williams? Pharrell's all I can remember. First time I heard it, I was out in Los Angeles, and I was there through the weekend, and I wanted to go to church. Got a friend there with me, and he took me to church, and the very first time I heard this song was even before a Sunday morning church service began, and here's what they did. Big video boards up in the front, and the song begins, And then all of a sudden, you see videos, and what they did, they had all of their church staff members dancing to Pharrell's Happy from the movie Despicable Me. And it was so funny, even the senior pastor and his wife danced. And of course, we were in Los Angeles, so everybody dances and does a pretty darn good job out there. You wouldn't want to see me dancing (laughs) to Pharrell's Happy, I promise you. It would be nauseating. You'd have to uh, slaughter a hog to get that picture out of your brain of me me dancing. Yes, folks, I'm in a good mood today. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Remember, it's Tuesday. Steve Baker will be joining us in our second hour. And we're going to pave the way for him to bring some good stuff to us. i got to be honest with you. I'd like to get a little good news. Good news about anything. It, 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 it's almost like we get to overload almost every day. We hear about, we see, we read about really bad things going on. And especially in the job that we do, you realize what we're here for at Truth News Network and TNN Live to bring you things to let you know what's really happening out there. It's become automatic in politics in the United Nations. You don't talk about anything bad unless, of course, you're talking about an upcoming political opponent that you're going to face in an election. Otherwise, you gloss everything over. Hey, everything's cool. We got it all under control. So this SVB bank failure, 
it's been a massive thing and it's exposed more and more massive things. And before we launch into it, let me give you a little overnight news. The banks in the world, it's not just here, but banks worldwide rebounded in pre-market training this morning. Shares rising up to 50% after some really dramatic slides yesterday that sparked the contagion fears over the collapse of SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. Regional banks that just suffered a bloodbath yesterday were heading towards the green. First Republic Bank, everybody's watching that one very closely, leaped as much as 51% in pre-market action this morning after a 62% drop in its share values yesterday. PacWest climbed 40%. Western Alliance rose 22%. The big four of trillion-dollar banks were all trending higher today. Bank of America was ticking over 3.6% up. Citigroup moved north of 2.5%. J.P. Morgan Chase hiked 1.9%. Wells Fargo made a 3.2% stride to the good this morning. But let's put everything in context. That doesn't mean that everything out there is rosy. Credit agency Moody's, they're the ones that rate the financial viability of all types of banking and savings and loan institutions. They put six banks on watch for a potential downgrade. What are the six? First Republic, Zions, Western Alliance, Comerica, UMB Financial, and Intrust Financial are all being reviewed over, quote, extremely volatile funding conditions for some U.S. banks exposed to the risk of uninsured deposit outflows. So everything is not rosy. And let me tell you what happened overseas while you slept. Credit Suisse, their their shares fell to an all-time low as they announced it has found material weakness. And that was just a couple of hours after Wall Street expert predicted that it would be the next to fall after SVB. Now, folks, Credit Suisse is a massive bank. Their shares fell 5% to an all-time low in early trading this morning after they confirmed they had material weaknesses and a paltry billion loss last year. Last night, Robert Kiyosaki, who's a metals investor and author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who accurately predicted the big bomb back in 2008 fall of Lehman Brothers, he warned during an appearance on Fox Business yesterday that the problem is the bond market and that Credit Suisse, the eighth largest investment bank in the world, is the most vulnerable. He predicted, he said, my prediction, I called Lehman Brothers years ago, I think the next bank to go is Credit Suisse because the bond market is crashing. The bond market is much bigger than the stock market. The Fed is up and they're the firemen and they're the arson, he said. Early this morning, Credit Suisse published its annual report which showed an $8 billion loss in one year. I can't even imagine $8 billion, yet alone losing 
$8 billion in one year in any business, especially not banking. The bank has been due to publish the report last Thursday, but they, uh, they decided to hold back over the weekend. Today, Credit Suisse said the weaknesses there were down to a failure to design and maintain an effective risk assessment process to identify and analyze the risk of material misstatements. In other words, covering up their lies. Credit Suisse CEO Ulrich Kerner has, however, insisted that SVB credit exposure is not material. During an appearance on Bloomberg this morning, he said it's very different. We are following materially different and higher standards when it comes to capital funding, liquidity, and so on. He added that his bank had seen good inflows yesterday and that everything had been calm since the SVP collapse. What the heck is he watching? Everything has been calm. I I mean, people literally in the banking business and in the investment business, some of them are running down the streets with their hair on fire. They're screaming about what's going on. It is not good. Chairman Axel Lehman agreed to waive a $1.6 million bonus to Credit Suisse given the bank's poor financial performance. While their shares took a nosedive, U.S. banks rebounded vigorously, which is a great sign for the United States. But let me ask you this question. Why? Why would they rebound? What's going on? We've got SVB Bank out there that it lost in one day billions of dollars. Whose dollars were lost? Well, it was the owners, the people that had stock in that bank, right? Well, what about all of those outstanding loans? And so with all this cool stuff happening today, everybody's happy. We opened the show today with happy. Everybody's happy. What the heck is there to be happy about? So the big question today, SVB bombed, the bank in New York bombed, somebody's losing money when somebody loses, who's paying for it? Who's going to pay to restore Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank deposits? Deposits. Now, we're always hearing all the time, oh, there's no problem If a bank fails, the FDIC is there, and every depositor is guaranteed by the government. If these banks fail, we're going to come in and make your account good, all the way up to $250,000 per account. Now, I, I gave you a little spark of information yesterday. Do you remember it? It was about the FDIC and how much clout they really have. If you missed the show yesterday, here, I'll give it to you again. You add together all of the money deposited in every bank in the United States. And it changes minute by minute, day by day. But at close of business on Friday, there was almost exactly $22 trillion deposited by individuals, corporations, institutions, $22 trillion. So 
the line that's been given to all of us for many, many years, hey, all that $22 trillion, it's protected. Something happens to the bank this money's deposited in, the depositors are protected. After all, we're the FDIC. And who's the head of the FDIC? Whoever the president is sitting in the White House. That would be Joe Biden. On that basis, he came out yesterday and made everybody feel warm and fuzzy. Didn't you? (laughs) When he spoke, I got even more concerned. Because he said everything's okay. You and I both know everything's not okay. Let me tell you how bad it is. The FDIC has intangible assets plus adding in their borrowing power. Remember, $22 trillion. $22 trillion deposited. Something happens to the bank. All that money disappears. Who's going to take care of the people that have money deposited there, that $22 trillion? The FDIC has only 2% of the amount of money that is deposited in total in banks. Only 2%. That means 98% of that money could disappear like that. And we have no recourse. And boy, if you look at that in perspective, you could go bonkers. And let me tell you how to go down this road and end up beating your head on the ground. What could you do to protect your money? How could you live? How could you protect your assets so that if something like this happened, I got to be honest with you. I don't, I don't feel good about my money being in banks protected up to $250,000 because what's going to happen if there's a run on the FDIC? They can't pay what's deposited in the banks. It's going to be lost. So the big question came up yesterday over and over and over. And again, last night I heard it over and over and over and again at a soccer banquet I went to. What do we do? How do we make our money safe? Let me forecast something. Dunstan Teo is conditionally pre- prepared to come on the show on Thursday. We're working on trying to get him on live. We may have to do an early morning recording and play it for you. Dunstan Teo, one of the wealthiest men on the planet. He's the biggest holder of Bitcoin of anybody. And he knows all of this stuff from the operational side. So we're going to get some answers on Thursday with Dunstan. But what do you do in the meantime? You know, somebody asked me, what do I do? Do I go I go buy silver? I go buy gold? Should I move from where I am now, regular de- deposits into treasuries and bonds? What should I do? And I just looked at him and said, hey, I'm going to be totally honest to you. I'm 69 years old, been through several successful company foundings. I'm not working in companies every day now. I'm doing this every day with you. But let me tell you what I know. I don't have a clue. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I mean, think about it. If you got all of your money turned into tangible assets that you could put your hands on and keep in your control all the time, what would you do? Would you go cash? 
out of your accounts and just get them to give you $100 bills and you stick that in your pocket or hide it in your mattress? Well, what happens when that $100 bill is not worth anything? So what's an alternative? Go buy some one-ounce silver bars. I mean, silver's around $20 an ounce, so you could have a $20 bill in your hand if you had a bar of silver. I've got silver. What are you going to do if you need, you know, to go to the grocery store and buy bread? You think Kroger's or Brookshire's or whoever you shop with, they're going to be able to sell you a loaf of bread and you hand them a a silver, a one-ounce silver bar that's worth 20, it fluctuates up and down. And if this money crashes, that one-ounce silver bar is going to be worth a whole lot more than it is today. When I, the first time I ever bought silver, I was given when I opened an account and I was getting hard silver in my hands to keep myself. They handed me a little machine and what it does, you can put a one-ounce silver bar in it and just pull the thing down and it turns it miraculously into four little silver bars. That makes it easier when you go to the grocery store, you know. I mean, think about the chaos that this could cause. And it could happen overnight. Do you realize that? If for no other reason, just what I told you, $22 trillion on deposit and less than 2% of it is actually insured by the government. And oh, by the way, who decides who gets what paid of that 2%? Would it be little mom and pops, people like you and me? Would we get paid first all the way up to $250,000 in each of our accounts? Or would they go pay their campaign contributors first? Or the companies with which they are invested in? That goes all the way back to this question. Do you trust Joe Biden and his administration? And if you could speak on a microphone in my ear right now, you would probably say, blank, no. I don't trust him. I don't know the man personally, never met him, but I don't trust what he says and what he does. I just don't, I just don't trust So Mama Maxine, Mad Maxine, yesterday on CBS's Red and Blue, Maxine Waters, one of the craziest people in Congress, she said that she hasn't come to any conclusions on whether regulatory rollbacks under the Trump administration caused the collapse of that bank in her state, Silicon Valley Bank. There's work still to be done, she said, to see what steps need to be taken in response to the collapse. And she noted that the bank was invested in a lot of startups. So the host of the show, Caitlin Huey Burns, asked her, Senator Elizabeth Warren has attributed this to the rollback of regulations in 2018 under the Trump administration. Do you agree with that? Mama Maxine said, well, let me just say this. The rollback was troublesome for me and some of us who worked on Dodd-Frank reforms. However, we have to take a look at what is happening in our world today. For example, we have all these startups. They are different 
in terms of seeking out support and loans. We have banks that don't deal with them directly because they don't understand some of this creativity. And it's not easy for the startups to get loans. And what we saw was Silicon Valley Bank that was the go-to bank for startups, and they were able to support them. Many have become successful. They've created jobs. The bank was handling payroll. And we wanted to make sure that the people and the staffs that are in these startups get paid. And we've done that. And so I think we're going to look at all of this and we're going to make some decisions. I'm not at any conclusions now about what we will do, what we won't do, but I'm very much focused on and relieved that we've done an extraordinary job in a short period of time and that we will work to see if we have to redefine risk, if we need to have more stress tests and whether or not we need to make sure there is not the kind of deregulation that would cause a collapse by a bank. You heard every word that I just quoted from Representative Maxine Waters, Democrat from California, and she serves on the House Financial Services Committee. She's the ranking member. So you want me to put in context what she just said, what you just heard? I'll do it. Very simply, she doesn't have a freaking clue. It's all poppycock. They're just grabbing things out of the air, hoping to make everybody feel comfortable. You know why? They are petrified that there might be a run on banks. Let's start with where I just told you what might cause a run on the banks. If what I just told you about the protection, the total protection for all accounts deposited in banks in the U.S. today, there are people that have already started to very quietly going and pulling their money out of those bank accounts. Cryptocurrencies gotten just blown up yesterday. Bitcoin went through the roof. A bunch of these startups there in Silicon Valley Bank, the money that they could get out of SVB, many of them put it in cryptocurrency, bought Bitcoin. And then you have to ask this, is Bitcoin any safer than depositing money in banks? I could say yes. And that would be based on my opinion about it all. But we don't know. There is no absolute right now. I have friends that tell me, I'm just going to put all my, I'm going to move all my money to precious metals. I'm going to go buy some silver. I'm going to go buy some gold. Well, where are you going to put it? Well, I'll put it in my safety deposit box. What the heck happens when your bank fails, where your safety deposit is there, and you can't even get in the front door? That's just one little aberration of that thought process. Well, I'll just go get all my money in cash, $100 bills. I'll get a bunch in hundreds and twenties and tens and fives, and I'll just keep it at my house. What if the word gets out that you have a few hundred thousand dollars in cash at your house? Somebody that may not like you a lot happens to come knocking on your door and says, Dan, I heard you've got about $250,000 in cash in your house sticks a gun in my chest and says, give it up. You can go down that trail as far as you want to go in imagination. It comes back to one thing. 
Who do you trust? Why do you trust them? And is your trust placed in a good place? I know many of you come here for answers to things. I got to be honest with you. I don't have any hard answers on that question right now. I'm like you. I'm working to try to figure out what the heck is the right thing, the best thing to do. And if anybody, who do we trust? Hmm, we'll get more into that in just a moment. Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to polandspring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select sizes only 20 up, 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Holidays abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a year. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. (laughs) We've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. Atoll protected. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup. Like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. During the break, I was going to find a uh, text, looking for a text that I got yesterday that had some details. I uh, I hadn't found it yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and launch into what we were gonna say, and uh, I'll find it later on. But the question keeps coming up: Who is going to pay to restore Silicon Valley's bank and Signature Bank's deposits? Now, that's the big question that's got to be answered. We can't believe or trust anything from anyone unless that answer is given to us. So here's how it's happening right now. Yesterday, the feds mobilized immediately in response to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And they worked over the weekend, as a matter of fact, to ensure that everybody that is a depositor who had more than $200 billion of venture capital and high-tech startup money stored in those two banks. Think about that. $200 billion invested. 
But unlike the 08 financial crisis, during which Congress passed some new legislation, which was to salvage the country's largest banks, this current rescue plan, we're told it's smaller in scale. And it pertains to only two banks and isn't additional taxpayer money, we're told. And the caveat I throw in there is there isn't additional taxpayer money for now. So in order to make sure depositors can still withdraw their money from their accounts, the vast majority of which exceed the $250,000 limit for standard insurance from the FDIC, regulators say they're pulling from another fund, a special fund maintained by the FDIC, and it's called the Deposit Insurance Fund, D-I-F. So how does it work? For the two banks that were put into receivership, those two banks, the FDIC will use funds from the DIF to ensure that all of its depositors are made whole. That's from a Treasury official that gave that to supporters on Sunday night. In that case, the deposit insurance funded is bearing the risk. This is not funds from the taxpayer. So where does the DIF money come from? Well, it comes from insurance premiums that banks are required to pay into it, as well as interest that's earned on funds invested in bonds and other securities and obligations. This is why some observers have been saying that the term bailout should not be used in reference to this current governor intervention that's underway. Why? Because it's bank's money plus interest, that's being used to insure depositors, and it's only being administered by the federal government. The feds, which means you and me, we're not putting ourselves on the hook, right? And of course, then we think standing behind the diff is the full faith and credit of the United States government. That's according to the FDIC, meaning that if the diff fund runs out of money or if they encounter a problem, the Treasury could call on taxpayers as a next resort. Now, this is not an impossibility. The diff has got right now, or before yesterday they woke up, they have a $125 billion balance as of the last quarter of 2022, and SVP reported $212 billion in assets in the same quarter. Treasury officials sounded confident on Sunday night the money in the dip would be more than enough to cover SVB's deposits. So, to settle fears of a potential shortfall, which I can promise you is going to happen, there won't be enough money there to take care of all of these SVB depositors. The Federal Reserve announced another line of credit known as a bank term funding program, offering loans of up to one year to banks, credit unions, other types of depository institutions. For collateral, the Fed will take U.S. bonds and some mortgage-backed securities, and the line of credit will be backed by up to $25 billion from the Treasury's $38 billion exchange stabilization fund. Both of these steps are likely to increase confidence among the depositors were told, though they stopped short of an FDIC guarantee of uninsured accounts 
as was implemented back in 08. The Dodd-Frank Act limits the FDIC's authority to provide some guarantees by requiring congressional passage of a joint resolution, which is only marginally easier than passing a new legislation act. Given the actions announced, we do not expect near-term actions in Congress to provide guarantees. So despite the fact there's no new legislation that's even been talked about or not introduced for sure, many analysts are calling attention to how taxpayer dollars have still been put at risk by this whole thing. Economist Dean Baker of the Center for Economic Policy and Research, he said, I consider this a bailout, a left-leaning think tank he works for, and he's talking to The Hill. It puts taxpayer dollars at risk. We may not end up paying anything for a group of people, large depositors, who have no claim to it. I think it was the right thing to do, given the reality of the contagion we are seeing, but it is a bailout. Some other analysts have stressed that the extent of the contagion is not yet known. It will take time to see if the Fed's response was fit to purpose. Over the last five days, the U.S. banking system has shown some signs of cracking with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The scope of the fallout is not entirely known yet. That's Connor Combs of Combs Capital Partners. On Tuesday of last week, Jerome Powell, you hear his name all the time. He's the chairman of the Federal Reserve. He testified in front of Congress. He was asked if he saw any systemic risk within the banking system. His answer was simple, no. Then on Thursday, we began to see the fallout from SVB. So you heard about the diff thing. Oh, that sounds great. It's all there. The numbers that I gave you, the 22 trillion, 22 trillion, 22 trillion in deposits. That less than 2% number I told you that the FDIC has in hand and access to, it includes the amount in this diff account. Not trying to scare you, but I'm just being honest with you. It is bad and it's worse than we think it is. So how do, how do we handle this? What should we do? Is there, do we have any recourse? I mean, is there anything that we can do that will allow us to put our money in some safety situation where we can access it? I've got to tell you, this is a daisy chain. And everything's hooked to everything. Everything is hooked to everything. It's all in play. And it's like everything's coated in gasoline and somebody's standing out there that has one match. Don't know who it is. Don't know why that person would have the match. Had no idea why that person would be even thinking about striking that match. But it just feels, it just senses to me that that's pending. And I've tried hard to find what it would be and what it would take for that thing to be lit, that match be lit. Lighted's the correct word. 
the match be lighted and thrown on our financial debacle and just burn everything up. Literally, folks, if that should happen, we could all be looking at having no money and be looking at and saying to all those who know us and we love, yesterday I had this amount of money in my bank and it's gone. I went to try to get it out and it's gone. Even the bank still open. Do you realize by law passed by the U.S. Congress, they can hang on to any money that you have deposited there indefinitely, not even notify you they're going to do it? And you would have no legal recourse against them if you went in, even if they were solvent and still in business and you wanted to withdraw some of your money. They don't have to give it to you indefinitely. Now, eventually, you know, they would have to. You could coerce them through court and all that kind of stuff. But imagine the the time that would lapse trying to go down that road. There's no easy answer other than this one thing. And I encourage you all, pray. Pray and ask for peace. You don't have to get specific. Just ask God for peace. Peace in your mind, peace in your heart, peace in your home, peace in your town or city. And with peace comes the ability to discern and make good choices. <laughs> Boy, you know, I, I'm in a situation now, and uh, I'll just tell you this. I can't afford for this to go south. I just can't do it. And I'm sure you're in the same situation. And if you're not, you need to be careful thinking about it because you could get there really, really, really quickly. Now, while we're on the air, I'm watching the financial markets, just taking a look every once in a while to see what they're doing. Dow Jones Industrial Average minutes ago was up 442 points. NASDAQ up 240. S&P 500 up 72 Apple stock is up two bucks, two and a half dollars at $152. Google stock is up $2.81. It all looks good. Overseas, not so much. The Hang Seng index is down 448 points. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down 600 points. And so what does all that mean, Dan? What it means is nobody knows for sure. Everybody's betting on an idea. There is only one place to get security. And you need to find a place in that to be comfortable, and that's in a personal relationship with God. I'm just saying, folks, you got a lot of questions that you're asking. You can't get answers. I'm in the same boat as you are. Early this morning, I went, I go to 6 a.m. prayer a 30-minute prayer thing every morning at church. And I prayed for peace. I didn't pray for security. I paid. I prayed for peace. I think if I get peace, everything else is going to be okay because I'll be able to make some decent decisions not based on emotions. Those are the dangerous ones. Be very, very careful. And by the way, if I hadn't told you, pray. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live.
Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. up this morning we heard a little bit about it yesterday we got some more details today there is some big time stuff out there in the streets and it's about some proof some bank proof <laughs> the biden family syndicate details the House Oversight Committee is now targeting three of Hunter Biden's business associates. They sent subpoenas to Bank of America for the records related to the Biden family business dating back from January 2009. I spoke with Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer on Sunday morning, Futures Sunday, and asked him what he's learned so far from the bank records he's seen. Watch this. Since we've last spoken, we actually have bank records in hand. In the last two weeks, we've met with either these individuals personally or with their attorneys. Uh, and th that would be four individuals who had uh, uh, ties in with the Biden family on their various schemes around the world. So now we have in hand documents that show just exactly how the Biden family was getting money uh, from the Chinese Communist Party. And, and I will tell you, it's as bad as we thought. Congressman, this is also extraordinary. And of course, you won't see this on the mainstream media. There's actual evidence of the Biden family accepting millions of dollars from the CCP. Uh, th this is incredibly troubling. I serve on the House Oversight Committee under the leadership of our great chairman, you know, James Comer. And, uh, you know, he is he is putting together uh, the case here as we, we see the subpoenaed documents from Bank of America. I'm looking forward to uh, reviewing those. Th there is a, a troubling path here of the CCP's interfere, uh, giving money to the Biden family for people that have no real skill set in why they would be receiving these sums of money. This is, this is greatly troubling, and the American people deserve the facts as to what's going on with the Bidens. Yeah, yeah they still have not explained to us what specifically they were doing to accept that money. What were they paying for other than influence and time with Joe Biden, a sitting vice president? Congressman, thank you. Thank you Nick so much, Lagworthy, we'll keep a spotlight on it. As you can imagine, this is a moving story, a moving target, and we're going to watch it. Uh, I'm just looking at another story that was just posted. Da, 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 da. After two months of dragging their feet, this is uh, Comer, chairman of that committee, said, the Treasury Department is finally giving us access to the suspicious activity reports 
for the Biden family and their associates. It should never take us threatening to hold a hearing and conduct a transcribed interview with an official under the penalty of perjury for Treasury to finally accommodate part of our request. My understanding, these suspicious activity reports, they are required by the federal government of banks when they get massive amounts of money coming in from overseas accounts. And that the Biden family has had hundreds of those come into banks and the banks have never reported any of that to the Treasury Department. I wonder why that would be. Just just saying. And my understanding is that some of this actually began, the first of it began right after Biden left office as vice president. So, there's something going on there. Finally, it looks like we may get some facts. Now, am I, do I have a hatchet in my hand going after Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or anybody else in the family? No. What I'm saying is, if there's something evil there, find it, hold those accountable who are guilty of it, and let's move on. Dad Gummit, aren't we, aren't we finding out every day that there is stuff that we suspected? Here's another story that just popped up just a second ago. Hang on, I'm letting it load. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's about there being another name in the in the mix now. Yeah, just as I said that, you would think that uh, I would get it. Let's see what we got here. A new name. Let's see, without going through the whole thing. After Comer issued a subpoena, one alleged associate is John Rob Walker. John Rob Walker. Recent revelation surrounding Walker. Comer explained a $3 million wire was discovered two months after Biden left office. And then the very next day from that account, that Walker account that appears to be a pastoral account, then they started wiring money to Biden family members, plural. And there were three different Biden family members that received a cut from the $3 million, including new Biden family members never before included in any of these investigations. So now that the, um, uh, the, the, the high, the curtain has been pulled back. I couldn't think of the word curtain. The curtain has been pulled back a little bit. It's going to begin to come out and it's going to be massive. It's going to be ugly. And people will for years be shaking their heads, asking the question, how, How could they do that? Even though they could do it, how could they do it personally? And it all goes back to that one thing. And I know you get tired of me saying it. It all goes back to that one thing. You hear it misquoted all the time. Money's the root of all evil. Nope, that's not true. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money on its own, it's benign. It can't do anything. Good, bad, ugly, can't do anything unless somebody gets their hands on the money and does something with it. The love 
of money is the root of all evil. So we got our inflation report this morning. It's lost in the fray, isn't it? Inflation in the report remained uncomfortably high last month. The Labor Department said that the Consumer Price Index, which is the broad measure for the price of everyday goods that include gasoline, groceries, rents, rose 0.4% in February from January's numbers. Prices climbed 6% on an annual basis. These numbers were both in line with forecasts by refinitive economists. It marked the slowest annual inflation rate since September of 21. Still, though, inflation remains about three times higher than it was pre-pandemic, underscoring a persistent financial burden placed on millions of U.S. households by high prices. And here's the problem, folks. We can't do anything about it. We have nothing that we personally can do. It's out of our hands, but we're living right in the middle of it. And there's nothing we can do but hope and pray. That's what we can do, and we need to continue to do it. Let's shift gears here. Steve Baker will be with us in about six minutes. We're going to talk more about this stuff. We're going to talk about the evil And there's just so much of of it out there. And we don't want to beat a dead horse, but we want to make sure that you are in tuned to what's going on. There's still much coming out on this big tech censorship of Americans' free speech rights. And the Twitter files, still, every few days, some new information comes out. Dan Bongino He talked to Matt Taibbi, who was just excoriated in one of those hearings last week. Matt Taibbi is one of the journalists that Elon Musk chose to reveal those Twitter files. Bongino with Matt Taibbi. Listen closely to what you hear. Matt, uh, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've been very concerned about this, this symbiosis between these NGOs, government, and the FBI, and, and censorship. How, well, through your work at the Twitter files, how exactly does it work, and it, which results in content being pulled down? Well, originally what we thought was going on was that uh, only the FBI and DHS maybe and maybe a few other agencies were directly telling companies like Twitter to uh, pull down a few accounts here and there. Um, but as, it, uh, as time went on, we learned that actually there's a whole complex of organizations and NGOs. A lot of them are state-funded. Some of them are entirely state-funded that are sending huge lists of names to these companies. Uh, and and those are, that's the primary route by which people are taken off uh, places like Twitter or Facebook or um, any social media site. Matt, libertarian-leaning conservatives like myself long been concerned about things like the Patriot Act because what happens is I think what you saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, with the Twitter files, where it starts as hey, we're trying to get rid of foreign interference in elections, and it morphs into, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts on the corner makes a tweet about the vaccine and finds himself, you know, in the doghouse. I mean, am I wrong in that analysis? No, that's absolutely the correct analysis, because this 
This effort actually began with counterterrorism in 2015, then it progressed to Russian foreign interference in 2016-2017, and then next thing you knew, it was domestic violent extremism. And then what we found just this week, we found memos talking about uh, the desire to strike down true stories of um, vaccine side effects or true stories uh, that might uh, encourage hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy. So they went from counterterrorism to going after true material within the space of a couple of years. Uh, so it's a small group of people at first, and now it's a really, really big pool of people that are, they're looking at. Matt, I want to play for you this, this quick clip. Obviously, you were there. You've seen it, but the audience may not have. You're the one who exposes malfeasance, and stunningly, you became the focus of their ire. Here, take a look. That if we can take off the tinfoil hat, that there's not a vast conspiracy. Are you being paid to be here today, either through consulting fees, <sighs> no, campaign contributions, to your not. next run? Data was given to these so-called journalists before us now. I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> Matt, this is disgusting. Tinfoil cap. You were you were paid off. You're a so-called journalist, despite a resume uh, to die for. Uh, that that's, that had to bother you personally. Well, I expected that, but I think the thing that's extraordinary about what happened to both me and to Michael Schellenberger, the other witness, is they would never treat a New York Times reporter like that or a Washington Post reporter like that and suggest that it was somehow, you know, wrong for a reporter to make money, um, which was came out during the hearing. They asked me if I'd been paid to testify, which was totally outrageous. They called us a direct threat to people who oppose them. Uh, that's, a, that's very ominous language for the government to talk about with regard to journalists. And again, they would never do that with somebody they considered one of their own, uh, which, you know, a, a typical mainstream reporter. Um, so that, yeah, I think that was very, very disturbing what happened yesterday. Matt, you know, I don't know your politics. Frankly, I don't care. But I know you're a journalist, not a so-called journalist. And I really want to thank you. It's guys like you that are going to save this space, the journalism space. Thanks for your time. And when I hear that conversation between Dan Bongino and uh, Matt Taibbi, both of those guys are journalists. They're not assumed. They really are doing it. And then you hear this mess coming out in that hearing in Congress where these so-called representatives of the people, they do nothing but talk down their noses because what's happening? The truth's coming out. And the truth has a way of making people that are wrongdoers very uncomfortable. Would you agree with that, Mr. Baker? Well, good morning, Dan. <laughs> well, Hi first of all, these, so, these so-called representatives called uh, Matt Taibbi a so-called journalist, which was uh, laughable on its face, considering uh, he's uh, several books published, uh, an award-winning journalist of, what, uh, three decades, four decades at least? Yes. And to call him a so-called journalist is pretty amazing. I wouldn't, I would be okay if they called me a so-called journalist, you know. I, I wouldn't, I would, I would immediately, I would immediately <laughs> jump up and defend you. I would not let that well, go. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. I can't tell but you. Hey, we have, we have... I can't we have late-breaking news. I don't know if you've seen it because you've been on the air, but, I mean, I'm talking about uh, just less than 20 minutes ago. Well, 19 minutes ago, it was published by uh, CNBC 
that Moody's, one of the big three rating services, you know, financial institution rating services, and this is the quote from Moody's, just hit minutes ago. We have changed to negative from stable our outlook on the U.S. banking system to reflect the rapid deterioration in the operating environment following deposit runs at Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, and Signature Bank, and the failure of SVB and SNY, Moody's said in the report. And that's brand new. It just updated their outlook from stable to negative. You know what I, when, when you give me that information, I immediately default to this. Moody's, they make their money by doing what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And they're supposed to be the impartial arbiters of news about the, uh, uh, the capability of banks and other types of financial institutions to work. And they go in and they look at them and they come up with and let the people know, is this place a good place to do business or is there a problem there? And all of a sudden, you know, three days after SVB goes tits up, bam, Moody's comes out and says, after the fact, hey, our banking system may be in trouble. I think it was pretty obvious when SVB and the other one, Signature Bank, just happened to go down on Friday of last week. And now we've got two or three other banks that are in the sights of being called the same thing. How does this just slip by this information? You know, this this stuff didn't just happen overnight. It's been developing for months and months, if not years. Well, it didn't happen overnight. It happened uh, with the beginning of uh, the mortgage industry uh, collapse, or the bubble burst, let's call it, or as they like to refer to it, in 2008 and the great bailout then that took place. And there were a whole bunch of us, particularly those on my more libertarian side of the uh, economic tea leaves side who were at that time saying, okay, it's fine. You're going to put a temporary bandaid on this thing. that's going to have to be pulled off again, whether it's going to be five, 10, 15 years later, we're, we're at the, you know, roughly the 15 year mark right now. And uh, it's going to be worse the second time because you can't hide your deficiencies and your bad policy making and your, um, uh, Let's, what do they like to refer to those uh, questionable loans as? I'm missing the word right now in my head. Junk. But you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Junk. Yeah, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't continue operating that way because when we do that, then it all goes back to this woke feel-good nonsense. Bankers don't want to issue um, uh, bad loans. This is not what they're in the business to do, but they are forced to do so because the political uh, powers that are that are regulating them and telling them what they can and cannot do in the marketplace because it's not a free marketplace are they're they're yielding to that and then suffering the consequences of it 10, 15 years later in a in a in an ever tightening cycle. By the way, and the the problem the problem with that is is that it can't continue to go on. You know, I, somebody asked me yesterday, says, what, what's going to happen here? And, you know, I, I flippantly said, I'm just hoping they all fail before the first of the month, you know, because that way I won't have to pay my bills. And, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know I, I've, got, I've got over a year worth of food set aside, and I've got enough ammo to ensure that I have, uh, you know, 
food for at least another year, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and so, and so this, this nonsense of, of us not, we, we, this facade that we have a free market system is long gone. And now it's just managing crisis after crisis after crisis until they finally lead us where they want us to go. And I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I am not stepping into conspiracy theory here, folks. Remember that there's, there's all there's conspiracy theory and then there's conspiracy fact. And the conspiracy fact of the moment is, is that we are being manipulated slowly but surely towards that cashless society because we don't need a bank run if we don't need cash, right? There's no reason to run on the bank. We don't, we don't have, if you have a crisis that's big enough for government to have to step in and bail us out and then bail us out and then bail us out and bail us out again, then eventually if you're smart and you're, you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you realize that they're creating the crises so that they can finally narrow everything down to where there's only one solution and one solution only. And that is them. And then our independence is gone. Yeah. Our individuality is gone. Our liberty is gone. Our freedom is gone. And the American experiment is gone. And you think that I just jumped right to the end here right now, Dan, I am like, (laughs) I'm on fire about this stuff right now. And, And I, and it's not because I don't have, you know, uh, it's not like I don't have some, a little bit of history and a little bit of experiment in this kind of, you know, great consolidation that I think we're seeing in the banking industry. You know, the, these, these, these bank collapses that they're going to manage and they're going to bail out the, 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 uh, you know, the depositors, first of all, and make everybody feel good about it. And then they're going to bail out the, um, uh, the businesses that have their accounts there and their loans there. And then they're going to slowly, you know, bail out. And they say that in this particular round that they're not bailing out the, um, uh, management of the shareholders, but let me, let me tell you that's smoke and mirrors too, by the way. And we know that because that's the first that's the first one to get the bailouts because those are the ones who have been promised that if they give out these junk loans that they're going to be taken care of. So you can't believe anybody, especially not our president, when they tell us that they're only going to bail out the depositors, the company, the, the companies and the investors, but they're not going to bail out the shareholders and the management. That's so, so we got a we got a little respite this we got a little respite this morning, uh, and there was a big bounce on the market. Stocks for banks, mm-hmm. they just zoomed up on the good news. Joe Biden said yesterday, hey, we've got it taken care of. We have the FDIC and we have this thing called DIF because uh, that's going to take care of it and everything's going to be okay. I got a, I got a little uh, text from a good friend of mine that is in the uh, government financial sector. I don't want to say which branch that he is with. And uh, it's pretty telling. Listen to this. There is more than $22 trillion in the U.S. banking system. Deposits across in every kind of uh, uh, bank, mortgage company, whatever, in cash. $22 trillion is in the system. The FDIC, which is our protection, you know, for all of our deposits, they have, as of this morning a whopping 
$124.5 billion. <laughs> and then they have, in addition, oh, this is a great one, a $100 billion line of credit from the U.S. Treasury. So when you roll all those numbers together, the FDA, uh, FDIC, with its assets, including this diff reserve that they told us about this morning, and that it was on that news that the financial business is so positive this morning. We've got this diff reserve out there. You add it all together, the FDIC's actual money, they borrow another $100 billion from the U.S. Treasury, and of course, what do they have to give for that? They'll just print up a few treasury bonds. You add it all together, and it only covers 1.26% of deposits. 1.26%. That's just the deposits. <laughs> I know. These banks, these banks have made loans based on the uh, fractional reserve banking uh, theory concept that they operate off of that, that are 10 times what they have in reserve themselves anyway. That, that this is, you talk about a bubble. I mean, this is, uh, this is just a pea shoot of a weather balloon for you know, one of Biden's F-16s to go up and shoot down right now and, and send the whole thing crashing down. It is, it is literally a setup. And I, and I mean that. And, and I, I don't want to drag us back into talking about conspiracy again, but this is exactly what it is. What they want to do to us right now, Dan, is they want to see the elimination of these local banks, of these independent banks, of these uh, community banks. They want to draw us down into, again, what I call the great consolidation, probably down to like three or four banks. We're going to have you know Bank of America, Chase, um, Wells Fargo, uh, maybe one other. And, and, um, and then of course, all of those will then be completely and totally run by the federal reserve. I, I, I saw this, I, I saw a picture of this I actually lived and worked in it, uh, 40 years ago, Dan, and I, I was in England with a band. I was traveling. I was the, the, not the road manager, but I was the band's, um, road bookkeeper. So I, I, you know, I was, I was the guy that held the money purse. And so we had an account in England and it was with Barclays, if I remember correctly, Barclays Bank. And one of the things that I found so odd 40 years ago was that I didn't have to go to a Barclays to make an, a, a deposit of what we made at the show the previous night. I didn't have to go to Barclays to buy traveler's checks or to get cash for the band's per diems. I could go to Bank of Scotland, I could go to Lloyd's, I could go to RBC, I could go to uh, HSBC, I could go to any bank in England and make my deposits and make my withdrawals and perform financial transactions, even though my account was at Barclays. And why do you think that is? Is it was all just a centralized one banking system anyway, yeah. with a bunch of facade names up over the top? Yeah. And that's what they're drawing us down to right now. I bank totally with Wells Fargo. I have for years. And the reason I do that is I do from time to time some international stuff. And as you said, if you've got a bank, an international bank, like the big ones you mentioned, mm -hmm. Wells Fargo is out there. It's a worldwide bank. It, you can use Wells Fargo and go to a Wells Fargo bank in pretty much any developed country on the planet. 
and I do that. But then I find out, guess who owns Wells Fargo? You have any idea? Who is that? No, well, I don't. Well, I they, there. they tried to come to the U.S. and buy all of Wells Fargo about 10 years ago, they being China. Yeah. And the Obama yeah. administration said, no, 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 no way. You can't do that. We can't have the Chinese owning a big bank that's so prevalent across the U.S. We just can't do it. So guess what they did? There's a holding company that owns controlling interest in the stock of Wells Fargo. Of course. The Chinese went and bought the holding company. (laughs) Right. There you go. How much of this kind of stuff do we not know about? And the only reason I know about it was I was overseas doing some work at the time, accessing my accounts, and that just happened to come up. (laughs) If we knew everything that is under the skin of this whole operation, I guarantee you none of us would sleep tonight. No, we wouldn't, and 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 everyone always asks uh, for us, you and I, and, and those like you and I, to give solutions and start ta- stop talking about how bad it is, and th- stop talking about uh, the gloom and the doom and the um, the end time scenarios that are scaring the bejesus out of everybody. And the bottom line is, is that we do have to talk about that. And I, I and I have a real, as I said earlier, my my inherent libertarianism interferes sometimes with my own sense of grace and compassion uh, towards uh, those types of depositors that have uh, more than $250,000 in the bank and, and, and they haven't spread their risk out across either multiple banks or other financial instruments, you know, because first of all, let's talk about that. They've got that kind of money. Why aren't they smart enough to hedge their their bets, so to speak, and uh, cons- and spread out their risk? That bothers me that they that they don't do that. Uh, but then, as you just mentioned earlier, when you have the, when you face the reality that the reserves available in that uh, so-called federal insurance program of our department our deposits only can cover about one and a half percent in total anyway. That means then, well, that we're all at risk, whether we have 250,000 or $25 in the bank. Absolutely. We're all at risk of losing every one of it. And so, and so we have to prepare in other ways. And, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, Dan, you know, I got, and this is one of the reasons why I have very little compassion for people that don't accept their own risk is I, I have been a 100% self-employed individual since the day I graduated from high school, you know, I've had jobs where I worked for businesses, but they're always 1099 jobs. I, I yeah. haven't had a W2 wage earner job since I was 18 years old. Um, and, and in that, and then in that sense, as a result of that is when COVID came to town and they locked everything down, people like me, you know how much of a bailout we got in COVID? Oh, you got nothing. We got nothing. Nothing. And, and so what my response to that um, awakening was, is I went, okay, I always thought that I would be one of those guys that was prepared with, you know, some people call them preppers, whatever. But when, when I got back to work again, the first thing I started doing 
was figuring out what do I need here in my home, in my closet, in my storage rooms for the inevitability or the eventuality that we need to get by without money for a period of time. And so I started collecting those things and started prioritizing on those things. So if people want solutions about what we're looking at right now, keep it simple and go get some food for your family and, and begin doing that now. If you haven't already started that process, because we need to start looking in looking at the things that are going to ultimately be, be put in our laps. And because one of the things is going to happen, Dan, we're, we're either going to have an economic collapse in which, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a period of time of absolute chaos, or we're going to have a managed decline into total dependence and servitude upon the government anyway. And then it won't matter whether you have money or not. It just won't matter. And so it, it's, it's best to all of us prepare with those things that we need, not the things that we want, things that we can trade, things that we can barter with our neighbors for. And that's what we have to start looking at. And I don't think it's too late right now. Uh, I don't think we're on the precipice tomorrow or you know today even of this happening, but I think we're looking at the first signs of what I think is going to be a managed decline. We took some steps several years ago. It may have been during COVID, maybe before COVID, but we came to a similar conclusion as, as did you, and it's just the two of us. And so we went, and uh, we went to one of the companies, the emergency companies that they mm-hmm. put they put together stuff you're talking about. And we have, underneath one of the beds in our home, we have stashed enough food in those emergency status things where all you do is add water and cook it and all that yep. kind of stuff to last us for six months, the two of us. And of course, mm-hmm. that doesn't it doesn't do anything about safe drinking water or anything like that. But right. we, we see a scenario, and you don't have to go far down the road of thinking anymore, see a scenario where everything that we just take for granted now, transportation, uh, utilities, all of those kind of things and everything else that we can't even in the time we have together, come up with and label all of those things. Some of those things could be gone overnight. What would we do? How would we survive? It's going to change everyone's priorities if and when it happens. And you you brought up a valid point. It could be a slow decline or it could be one where it's just bam and it's over. And we're going we're gonna to have to deal with it. We see places around the globe that we, as Americans, we send stuff to after the fact in situations just like we're talking about might happen to us, and we can name them. It's not necessary, but we could see a scenario where the dollars you have in the bank, the silver, the one-ounce silver bars, I mentioned that. I bought silver. I own silver. Uh, I bought silver bars, the first ones that I bought years ago, I ordered them, and it came with a little device that would cut a one-ounce silver bar into four little pieces. Mm. And that way, you right. could you know, you know, could go into Kroger's or Brookshire's and buy some groceries, and you don't have cash. The bank's failed. 
well, they'll just take one or two of three of those little pieces of silver. That would only work if the grocery stores have food to sell. I mean, you could take this all the way down the line to using the restroom. (laughs) Uh, Toilet paper. I, I mean, it's crazy how this could all turn upside down in a in a day or two. We could be right there or close to it. I actually got a message from somebody in Shreveport yesterday who was scared because she went to her bank, uh, AT&T, uh, or ATM last night, and uh, it didn't work. It was actually powered off. And uh, she texted me and says, is this a sign? Is this it? Is it happening now? <laughs> That I don't know. I mean, I've, I've over you know my years uh, experienced a few ATMs that didn't work just out of uh, coincidence. Yeah. But uh, um, you know, it, when when you're dealing with the the news cycle that we're in right now, and then you go put your card in the machine and it doesn't work, then you kind of go take a, a a big deep breath and a gulp. Probably, we're going to have Dunstan Tail on the show on Thursday. He's the uh, crypto guru that is come into my life. He's the largest holder on the planet of Bitcoin. And he told us here about, gosh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I asked him on the air. I said, you're a strong believer in crypto. And uh, of course he said, yes, he's been there from the very beginning of Bitcoin. And I said, as me, a layman, just a guy, a family guy, how do you see and what would you recommend for us to do regarding how much money do we put in crypto? How much money do we keep in fiat currency? What do you suggest? And he said, I suggest that everybody do this. Get to a point where you just need to keep 20% of the money that comes into your house every month and that you take the 80% and you put it in cryptocurrency. Don't use a crypto exchange. That's the ones that are getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, Bankman Freed, he was one of those. FTX was an exchange. It wasn't where you go buy cryptocurrency. You buy it Mm -hmm. through an exchange. But when you do transactions in crypto before you do, you don't have an account. You have what they call a wallet. And so when you buy crypto, You put it in your wallet and nobody can touch it unless you let it happen. So he said 80-20. And so I'm thinking yesterday when all of this began to come down, I have cryptocurrency. I have a wallet, actually have two of them. And uh, my thoughts are, would it really matter if we don't have any power anymore? We don't have internet anymore. How would I access my wallet? So it really doesn't matter how much you got there. We're talking about finding ways to live off the land again. And we see that the government now is actually ordering and compensating uh, these big energy companies for the actual destruction of their energy plants. And so (laughs) I, I think that your question is very valid. If they're dismantling our energy plants, uh, and and paying them something like 150% over what their normal profits would be if they continued to run them, if you will just shut them down. This is happening in our country, Dan. And if they're doing that, 
where are we going to get all of this wonderful um, electricity out of the walls to power all of these wonderful electric cars that we see now broken down on the side of the road and they're being recharged by uh, gasoline generators. So I, I, uh, I, I have my doubts about <laughs> the value of transferring any of my money into crypto. I'm, I'm, I'm there reason. with you. I have some there because I did some transactions that required it. And uh, I was locked down. Our computer system at my company was locked down a few years ago by those Russian hackers. And that was my first introduction to crypto. And I bought Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I learned a little bit about it. But if you can't get juice, if you can't get electricity, there's no way to transact or even communicate electronically. That's going to change a lot of things. Well, let's leave this place of gloom and doom. <laughs> We've painted the picture. We're both Christians. I, I told people earlier, the one thing I can tell you you need to absolutely do is pray. Pray for peace is what I told them. And with peace would come, obviously, some answers that we're all looking for. I want to switch gears. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, I want you to give us your thoughts about the new information about the Biden family syndicate. And I can't wait. <laughs> get loaded up. You're up next. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Pick me! No, pick me! Hey, can I get a... Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. <laughs> What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle! Snuggle! I am so out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go real fast or go for it? Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Well, it's just another Tuesday, kind of a ho-hum day, nothing happening here at TNN Live. Steve Baker and I, for the last 28 minutes, we've just been shooting the breeze, not talking about anything very important. And I just, I just told Steve during the break, 
I watched the numbers of the show. There are a lot of people that I guess, hey, these prophets of doom are on the air. You need to call, you need to dial in to listen to TNN Live. Baker and Newman are going nuts. People are looking <laughs> for answers, Steve, looking for answers. And yeah. at this point, regarding that, there's not a whole lot else we can tell them other than stay tuned. Every bit of news, good or bad, that we get, we're going to share it as it comes to us. And I've been watching the markets this morning real quickly. Let me do a, an update. The Dow's still up big, 455. The NASDAQ up 263. S&P plus 78. Apple stock mm-hmm. up two and a half bucks, as is Google. So confidence, at least, is uh, is strong this morning. And I guess it's because they haven't heard that news that I gave you just a minute ago of the $22 trillion Uncle Sam's only going to take care of max of 1.26%. So our money on deposit, even if we have less than 250 grand, uh, it's in danger. Everybody is. So let's switch gears now and talk about something positive. You want to do that? (laughs) I'm I'm anxious to hear what... uh, What's in the news cycle right now that we can talk about positively? Well, well, it would just be the truth. We can talk about the truth. You know, all these, all these apps, absolutely years now, we have known that there was something going on about that laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop that came up and all of the mm-hmm. mysteries about where the Bidens got all their quick money. I mean, think about it. Joe Biden was in the Congress for 50 years. The most he made as a congressman, not counting benefits, but salary was $170,000 a year. And yet all of a sudden, when he's a vice president, he did make a little more than that, but not much more than that. But all of a sudden, after he leaves office, he not only has one mansion on the water, he's got two other ones. And they're very expensive, and he lives a very... um, uh, I don't even know how to call it, but he's not living a poor life and he's not struggling for anything even before he became president. And so we began to find out from personal testimony, Tony Bobolinsky, former partner of Hunter Biden, we find out that there's a lot of graft and corruption going on, but nobody's got any facts. But it's changed, we find out. All of a sudden, those suspicious notifications that Banks in the U.S. are required to send to the U.S. Treasury when some foreign money in big volumes Mm -hmm. comes into the bank to any accounts. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of those warnings were never passed on about money coming to Hunter Biden and through his various business operations. And we find out now that one of those banks that was doing that, this oversight committee, that Representative Comer out of Kentucky is chairman of, some of these banks begin to respond. And they have hard evidence from the banks that show the source of some of this money is China. Oh, my gosh. What do you think? Imagine that. I just know this, Dan, is that I forget how many years ago it was when you know I used to actually get paid cash for a lot of my band concerts and the the promoters or, or the nightclub owners or whoever would settle up at the end of the night with cash. And for years and years and years, 
I was able to make deposits without showing my ID. Now you, you would think that if you were just giving hard, cold cash to the bank, why do they need your ID? Obviously they need your ID. If you're going to ask them for money and you're going to be withdrawing from an account of some sort. And then, and then those numbers started going down. It was $10,000 and then it was $3,000. And now it's, I think it's 500. I mean, it just, just to put $500 cash in my own account, I still have to show them my ID. And it's because the department of Homeland, Homeland security is supposed to be tracking every single thing. And now, as you know, um, they uh, PayPal and, um, and all of these other little, you know, money exchange uh, apps, they have to report transactions to the IRS of 600 bucks. But the Biden crime family has been getting by with transfers of millions for years with seeming no um, obligation to anyone to, to report those whatsoever. But thankfully, uh, you know, as they say, elections have consequences. And now we have this uh, new committee here, the House Oversight Committee, is now specifically targeting and pointing out and showing, okay, here's those, we actually were getting those suspicious activity reports and uh, um, here they are. And there's, what is there, uh, 100, 150 of them now that they're looking at? I think it's over, two, I, think it's a, I think it's over 200 of them and that means there probably it? are more. And these, these are transfers to directly to either Hunter uh, or, uh, James Biden, and those transfers are for millions of dollars. And of course, as we all know, who the big guy is, and uh, we know from Hunter's laptop that the big guy was profiting from these as well because he was getting his 10%. And the way we know about it was Hunter was griping online because he was having to take care of his dad. And he didn't like it. He didn't want to do it, as a spoiled son will sometimes do. Let me ask you this. There will be more and more and more of this that comes out. Here's the big question. Do you think there will be any accountability for any of this? You know, I think you ask me that almost every week about <laughs> anything we talk about, if there's going to be accountability. <laughs> and my answer, I think, is almost always... Well, we would hope so, but I don't think so. I, I mean, there. I think there's a place that you reach, and it's it's particularly more favorable depending upon what side of the political aisle you're on, where you're basically operating under the assumption that you're immune to any obligation to the law, responsibility to um, whatever criminal activity that you've been involved in, so long as you can walk up to the microphones and the cameras and couch it as, uh, you know, hey, we just need to get back to the work of the American people. Uh, this is just a distraction. This is just more Russian information. Do, who do I sound like right now? I sound like everything that's come out of this administration for the last two years. Absolutely. That's their only yeah. answer. Yeah. And and when you have a compliant media, I just I wrote an article, completely different subject, just yesterday, where I said where I said these words, and you've heard me say this on your program before. If the New York Times, NPR, NBC don't say it, then it never happened. And because they have that compliant uh, media or they, they have uh, essentially this, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, a, a cartel 
of on information directly with the mass media or mainstream media, uh, then then they can walk to that microphone and say anything that they want to. And then if they're not challenged by that media cartel, then whatever comes out of their mouth is the truth. Last night, whatever they're trying to hide, whatever they're trying to hide, it didn't happen. Last night I was at a function, a soccer function for my three grandchildren that play soccer at this school. And a, a gentleman who is, if I said his name, you're from Shreveport, you would know it. He's a younger guy. He's a generation behind you and me. He came over to me and pulled me to the side. We actually walked outside and sat there and talked for about 20 minutes. He asked me, he said, why don't people know about what's going on? And I explained it to him as simply as I could. He was very serious, and he's obviously a thinker, and he finds facts, does some of the stuff that we do. And I explained it. I said, look, look at what's happening with your kids. He's got kids in high school. How do they, how do they function? What do they do? Where do they spend their leisure time? And he said, well, you know, it's online, social media. Uh, If they get any news, they get it from Apple News that pops up online or something like that. And I said, here's the deal. Our generation, the one behind yours and mine, their generation and the one behind theirs, they've been conditioned that everything they need in the way of information, it's right there in the palm of their hand. And as long as they have Google and they have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, they can get every bit of information about everything to do with their lives, and they don't need to listen to their peers any longer. And that's a condition that's there, and that's where they go to get it. Let me challenge you. When we get through with the show here in a few minutes, take a couple of minutes, and you go and look at those sites that you just mentioned. Go see what comes up at CPAC. Not CPAC. What am I talking about? C-SPAN. Look at what news is on C-SPAN this morning. Or look at what's on the radio channel that we taxpayers pay for across the nation. Any of those sources, go look there. Look at what the New York Times has on the front page this morning. And you'll understand. That's what I told him last night. Look, we don't control the narrative We put people like you, Steve, and us here, we put stuff out there. But that doesn't mean people are going to go read it or go listen to it. Just because it's out there doesn't, doesn't seal the deal. People have got to begin to be hungry to find facts. And then when they find them, ask questions to confirm or get them denied and then take actions on them. And we have two, at least two generations of Americans that are conditioned that that's not necessary anymore. I'll never forget when that thing came out a few years ago. First time I heard somebody say it, well, you've got your truth and I have mine. (laughs) And when I heard that, I realized we're in deep (laughs) doo-doo. We're in trouble. Buddy. That's it. That is a troubling phrase. We uh, we spent 40, 40 minutes today talking about two topics 
and both of them are very serious and both of them are negative. So do you have anything good to say as we leave today? You got anything to be happy about? Uh, you know, I, I could, I could be trite and I could say all the cliche things about, yeah. you know, being thankful for all things. And, and, and the, the, the reality is, is that I am more energized in what I'm doing right now than I've ever been in my life because I feel like that I am working with a team of people who a want to save the country and otherwise B want to pull the whole thing down. And when I say pull it down, I don't mean destroy the country. I mean, pull down the, the, the facade, yeah. uh, pull down, you know, the, drain the swamp as, as we've said over the last few years, that sort of thing. And, and so I am, I am genuinely excited to be working with these guys who, this is their mission and this is, this is for real. And they're, and they're right there working in the belly of the beast. And I've got to go back up there tomorrow. Then we're talking about DC, of course. And even though it's, um, it is a cesspool, it is a swamp, it is the portal to hell. As far as I'm concerned, the bottom line is, is that if we're going to be in the game and we're going to, we're going to fight, then that's, that's, where we have to do it. And, and that's got me energized. I, I'm thankful at my age to not just still be in the game, but to be playing the game at a higher level than I've ever been able to play it before. So I would say to those that are listening that that's not me just talking about myself, but I'm saying to everyone out there, there's still a lot every one of us can do. And we can do it locally. We can do it at our school boards. We can do it. Uh, we can do it in, in our grocery line if we have to do it there. Uh, we have to speak up sometimes uh, in uncomfortable circumstances and uncomfortable uh, situations. But it's time for us to begin letting our voices be heard and not allow uh, this great American experiment to be taken away from us uh, at such a you know because it is it is being yanked from us right now at, at an ever increasing rate. But we we can uh, we can do something, and we and we can make we can make uh, uh, changes, and we can continue to push back, and we continue to and we win small victories every day too, Dan. That yeah. is still happening. Yeah. We we are winning victories. Uh, they just don't. But they but you know as I said, if the New York Times, NBC, and NPR don't tell us about it, then it never happened. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom with us, and it's kind of good when we can put our two noggins together and come up uh, with some facts for people. And again, that's what we do. If you have any questions and want to reach out to Steve, how do they do that, Steve? I prefer you go to uh, our locals community. Uh, locals, of course, is one of those uh, kind of uh, blog communities like a Substack or something like that. And it is continuing to grow. It's, it's growing leaps and bounds. Now that, you know, Scott Adams has been deplatformed. He's brought his entire Dilbert uh, cartoon over there. In fact, he's no longer censored. So Dil Dil Dilbert will now be completely uncensored on, on locals. <laughs> and of course, Glenn Greenwald just brought his empire over there just yeah. a month or so ago. Yeah. And, uh, and then my, you know, my little, uh, micro empires there. <laughs> so it's, uh, the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com, the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com. Uh, or if you just, uh, you can't remember all of that, it's tpc4usa.com. You can just type that in, tpc, the number four, USA, 
and it'll take you right there. Thank you, buddy. Again, you're my, you're one of my heroes, and I appreciate you sharing you, with us every week. Keep Thank us you. posted on any stuff you get, good or bad. We're fact finders. Let's get all the facts that we can and get them out to our people. Will do. Steve Baker again every Tuesday here at TNN Live, our second hour, 10 to 11 in uh, Central Time Zone. And uh, we're very thankful for the information that he brings. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. Oh, yes, sir. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra. What is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Compare it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him $5, and he said I only gave him $1. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the $1 right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Blaster in hand. Wow. Well, you know, one thing that just came to mind as we finished that segment with Steve Baker was this. It's like all of a sudden Ukraine is no longer important. There's no war going over there. There's no Russian invasion. We would know all about it if it was happening. Oh, and by the way, yeah, we had 2 million illegals come across our southern border in the first year of the Biden administration, but we're not hearing about any problems at the southern border. So it's like all of that just mysteriously evaporated. 
Well, there are some very important things in addition to our financial issues with our banking system that we all need to watch and watch closely. And our buddy Tucker Carlson came up with one of those. We've got an election less than two years away. We're talking about the 2024 presidential election. How do the candidates that are on record so far, how do they feel about what's going on in Ukraine? And what would they be doing if they were in the White House instead of Joe Biden? Last week, we sent a questionnaire to every Republican presidential candidate announced and potential asking about Ukraine. We posed six questions. Is opposing Russia in Ukraine a vital strategic interest for America? What's our objective in Ukraine and how are we going to know when we've achieved it? What is the limit of money and weapons you'd be willing to send to Zelensky? Have U.S. sanctions been effective? And does the United States face the risk of nuclear war with Russia? It's kind of presumptuous for a cable show to send these, but no one else in the media seemed to be asking them, and we thought we should. The first presidential primaries are 10 months away. Voters should know where their candidates stand on the big issues, and this in some ways is the biggest issue. So tonight we're happy to report that virtually everyone we asked responded. Nikki Haley ignored us. John Bolton said he was too busy doing some unspecified thing. But most of the rest of us, them, did get back to us, and we are grateful that they did. In general, the answers were fascinating. Some of them were so thoughtful and so smart, they give you hope for the Republican Party. With only a few exceptions, these, their answers bore no resemblance at all to the statements you see every day from Mitch McConnell and various Republican committee chairmen in the Congress. Republicans in Washington tend to be committed neocons in the Hillary Clinton mold. But Republicans running for president this cycle generally are not at all. That was a surprise, a refreshing surprise. We had no idea. We didn't know what to think. So we're going to post every response that we got in full on our Twitter account tonight as a public record of where the candidates stand on Ukraine. We hope you will look at them. But first, here's a quick summary of what we received. So former President Donald Trump, who as of tonight is the front runner for the Republican nomination, sent a long and really interesting response. Russia would never have attacked Ukraine if I were president, he writes, not even a small chance. Trump says he opposes regime change in Russia. Quote, we should support regime change in the United States. That's far more important. The Biden administration are the ones who got us into this mess. Trump repeatedly refers to the risk of nuclear war, which he describes as absolutely real. And then he calls for a negotiated peace by Ukraine mediated by the United States. Quote, both sides are weary and ready to make a deal, Trump writes. The meeting should start immediately. There is no time to spare. Death and destruction must end now. Trump has been saying things like this and predicting this for five years now. And he's saying it again. What's interesting, though, is that Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, who was also running for president this year, opposes his old boss on nearly every point. We're paying the Ukrainians to fight Russia, Pence writes, so we won't have to fight Russians ourselves. Pence endorses even stricter sanctions against Moscow. He dismisses the risk of nuclear war as a, quote, bullying tactic from Putin. And then Pence suggests that anyone who disagrees with his views on Ukraine is a disloyal American, quote, there is no room for Putin apologists in the Republican Party. Mike Pence did not specify who he was talking about, though we suspect this show is included in that treasonous category. And then maybe the most newsworthy response that we received was from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. DeSantis has well-known views on many topics, of course, but until tonight, no one could really say with precision where he stood on the war in Ukraine, which is arguably the most important topic in the world. And now we know. DeSantis is adamantly opposed to the position that most Republicans in Washington have taken on Ukraine. DeSantis is not a neocon. Who knew? Quote, 
While the U.S. has many vital national interests, DeSantis writes, securing our borders, addressing the crisis of readiness within our military, achieving energy security and independence, and checking the economic, cultural, and military power of the Chinese Communist Party, becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. Without question, he writes, peace should be the objective. The U.S. should not provide assistance that could require the deployment of American troops or enable Ukraine to engage in offensive operations beyond its borders. F-16s and long-range missiles should therefore be off the table. These moves would risk explicitly drawing the United States into the conflict and drawing us closer to a hot war between the world's two largest nuclear powers. That risk is unacceptable. DeSantis goes on to oppose the policy of regime change in Moscow, which is very popular in Washington, and he points out that the Biden administration has created an alliance between Russia and China, and that's a disaster for the United States. Quote, we cannot prioritize intervention in an escalating foreign war over the defense of our own homeland, especially as tens of thousands of Americans are dying every year from narcotics smuggled across our open border and our weapons arsenals, critically for our own security, are rapidly being depleted. So that's DeSantis' position, clarified. Vivek Ramaswamy, meanwhile, who you just saw, who announced for president on this show a few weeks back, responded with what was effectively an essay. It was so tightly argued and sharp, it probably should be a Wall Street Journal piece. We hope it becomes one. We can't really do it justice here, but a few short excerpts give you the flavor. Quote, China wants the Ukraine war to last as long as possible to deplete Western military capacity before invading Taiwan. It's working. We think we appear stronger by helping Ukraine, but actually become weaker vis-a-vis China. We've spent 20 years droning people in caves in the Middle East and Central Asia and have little to show for it. We should be taking out the people who have caused the deaths of more than 100,000 Americans every year, the Mexican drug cartels. If I were president right now, I wouldn't limit any further funding or support to Ukraine. Ukraine is not in the top five of American foreign policy priorities right now. And yet merely questioning whether the money we spent on the war is being done effectively or perhaps even prolonging the war is seen as disloyal. We get accused by both Democrats and Republicans of being, quote, Putin sympathizers. The Washington Uniparty and defense contractors want this conflict to go on forever. For the sake of the global economy and peace, we should be doing everything we can to end it tomorrow. End quote. Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota echoed some of these points. The primary external threat to the United States is communist China, she writes. And then she added another point that you rarely hear and not often enough. Quote, the United States has come to rely far too heavily on financial sanctions as a weapon of deterrence. Now the nations that hate America are consciously moving away from the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. Sanctions against China, Iran, and Russia have bolstered the Russian ruble and enabled China to establish trade in Chinese money rather than in U.S. dollars. That is true provably true. And you wonder why so few in Congress, which passed these sanctions, will acknowledge it. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, meanwhile, was not quite so bold or precise, but in spirit, he seemed to agree with most of the rest of the Republican candidates. Quote, President Biden's blank check foreign policy in Ukraine has diverted funding from essential needs in the United States. Throwing money at Ukraine with no accountability or objective is clearly failing. End quote. Once again, we had no idea the candidates felt this way until today, and we're glad they do. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, by the way, did not send a statement, but instead a transcript from a hit he did on Trey Gowdy's weekend show here on Fox. Not many details in it, but Scott did call for, quote, degrading the Russian military. He did not explain what the point of that might be. And finally, Chris Christie is still around and still full of bombast, still a sporty character. 
In fact, if anything, Christie seems to become even more orthodox as a neocon. He calls on the U.S. military to fight and win a war against both Russia and China simultaneously. Otherwise, he warns, Iran and North Korea could take over the world. So that is where the Republican presidential candidates stand on Ukraine. But do not take our word for it. We are posting their answers unedited on Twitter right now. We hope you will take a look. We hope you will read them. They're interesting, whether you agree or disagree. And once again, thank you to everyone who took the time to respond in such a thoughtful way. Almost all did, and we're grateful for that. I can't imagine why nobody has, before Trucker, Tucker did, reached out to the candidates to get the clarifications on those positions. Hey, Americans deserve to know. It's a wrap on today's show. You can get that back and forth between Steve Baker and me. It'll be posted separately on today's story at the website truthnewsnet.org. About 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes after we leave the air today. Thank you for being here. Stay close and just know this. It's going to be okay. When I was in Israel, Marianne and I, she got two rings made. They look like wedding bands and there is Hebrew inscription on it. And I knew what it was. She knew what it was. But we wondered, you know, we got it done in Jerusalem. Maybe they just put something on there that wasn't what we told them to. And so when we were flying home, flight attendant was from Jerusalem, very nice young man. And I just asked him, what is the inscription on this ring? He had no idea. He just read it to us in Hebrew. And it's kind of where I am in my thinking about all of the stuff we've talked about today. The inscription says, the best is yet to come. I really believe that. In my bones, in my spirit, I really believe that. And leaving the show today with that, I will tell you, we will see you tomorrow, right here at 9 a.m. Central, 9 to 11 at TNN Live. Keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future.